running 100 miles seems impossible, and maybe even kind of crazy. And it is, but we believe in big crazy dreams. That's why we ran 100 miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us, we decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race. Are you ready to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your trail to 100? Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100. I'm Jacob Bateman, and joined along with me is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. And joined along with us today is a special guest named Om Gandhi. Now, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview that we had with Om. Om ran 235 miles of the Moab 240. That's right. He didn't finish but he still ran 235 miles of it. And I think he's got an amazing story about that race, what went wrong, what he learned, and how he's going to come back stronger. Now, Ohm, not only did he hit on that, and we talked about that, Ohm's been through a weight loss journey. He's used ultra running as a tool to help him through depression. He's run multiple 100s. Ohm just started running three years ago too, believe it or not. So he's got a great journey, a great story of his first three years of ultra running. You're not going to want to miss this. Hope you guys enjoy. So Ohm, thank you for joining us today here on Trail to 100. We are so excited to have you, to hear about your story. And, you know, you as also, it sounds like you've only been in ultra running a few years. So everything's so fresh we are excited to hear everything you've learned from your ultra running journey. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm just, I'm super excited to share my story and uh, yeah, ready to have some fun. We're, we're just itching. I, I don't know about you, but the beginning of the podcast is always the hardest because I'm like, I have 10 million questions. Where do we even start? <laughs> <laughs> so like, where where did it start for you? You said you ran your first 50K during COVID, but where did it all start where you started actually being like, hey, I want to run long distance? It started for me during the pandemic. I'd been running for a couple years and I was gearing up towards my first marathon and then everything got canceled and I'd been backpacking for a couple years and just falling in love with nature in my adult years. It was not something I had growing up, basically lived in like the concrete jungle. So <laughs> I started really falling in love with nature in my adult years and started backpacking and then found out this awesome thing that people can do where they don't actually just hike trails. They can actually run up and down the trails and fell in love with trail running and I'd watched a documentary called REI's How to Run a 100, maybe like a couple years before. And I thought, man, you know, like, I guess everyone kind of felt the same way. Like, man, whole world's falling apart. You know, I might as well just lean into a really big goal and just prove to myself that I can go the distance in something like this. And I just signed up for my first 100 miler in July of 2020, which was the Zion 100, which is going to be the following April. And 
you know, sweated bullets for a couple of weeks and had no idea what I was getting into, but that's kind of the crux of it. So did you sign up for this race before you had even run an ultra or what distances have you done before that? The most, uh, so I had done maybe like five or six half marathons. I had run up to like 16 miles in training and I was kind of starting to peak and go into like my longest long run for the marathon. And, you know, other than that, just done some backpacking and through hiking, but. You're like David Goggins crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of, but he's, he's on another level of crazy. But I guess we're all (laughs) (laughs) So what made you decide to, you know, you said you were really enjoying it. Like, was there, was it just that you just enjoyed it or like why 100 miles? Like that's a pretty big jump there. Like what were you trying to find? I guess. I guess I was, for me, it, I didn't really know exactly what I was looking for at that moment, except maybe. I think maybe what I was actually looking for and doing a hundred miles and, you know, I, it's funny you bring up Goggins because I had started reading about, I started reading more about Goggins and I'd read Can't Hurt Me a few years before. And, you know, I'd read some of the content from Rich Roll and some of the, Mm -hmm. some other ultra runners. And I just wanted to see what getting uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable was all about. And I guess what I was chasing at the time was like actually my purpose. I was trying to find my purpose and I thought maybe doing something big and no matter what the results would be, would help me find that purpose. At the moment, I think that was my thinking, but if I had a long, short answer for it, it would probably be that I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So, so before we dive Before we keep going from here, I actually want to back up to before your first ultra. You mentioned before that you said that that you weighed a little bit more. You said you got into running for mental health reasons. I kind of want to go back to that story of what got you into running in the first place. Yeah, so first, so physically I had been... When I was 18 years old, I'd gotten up to 250 pounds. I come from a family that has diabetes running in the family. My dad has it. My grandpa has it. My great-grandpa had it. And I had like a wake-up call when I was 18 where the doctor told me if you keep, like you have pre-diabetes, if you keep going this way, you're going to get diabetes as well. And that was when I started trying to lose weight. The other side of it was the depression side. I'd been dealing with depression from a very young age to the point where I didn't know how to explain it when I was younger Mm -hmm. and just dealt with just a lot of mental health issues related to depression. And those two things kind of came together. And, you know, I lost weight for the first time, two and a half years. I lost about 90 pounds. I honestly, looking back, I sort of did it and approached it the wrong way. It was more about just like looking fit and like being physically strong and mm-hmm. like, why can't I be those people in the Hollywood movies? And, you know, like, why can't I be like the Brad Pitts of the world? And Brad Pitt. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then, you know, I just a couple of years after college kind of fell into the corporate world and was working like nonstop, like 80 hour, 90 hour weeks in the civil engineering industry. And 
a lot of things just came to a head about four and a half years ago in 2018 and running just seemed like the most simple thing to do you know all you really have to do basically is put on a pair of shoes put on you know workout clothes and you can just go out and one night after I came back from work, I just decided to get after it. And I ran like a quarter of a mile. I love telling this story. I ran like a quarter of a mile down the block and going as hard as I could. And I just got really sick and I like walked home. I was like, man, this sucks. I don't want to do this again. But then for whatever (laughs) reason, the next day I got after it. And again and again, I just kept getting after it. Wow. That's amazing. So do you feel like, did you find some relief from your depression during this time? I, you know, it's the depression thing is kind of like an ebb and flow. I think what it helped me do is it helped me find the right tools to deal with the depression. Yeah, like it helped me compartmentalize the depression. It helped me realize that like, man, like I have a factor that I can control, like how I work out, what I do. And the running sort of trickled into other aspects of my life. So it definitely helped me. It gave me the tools I needed to combat depression. Wow, that's amazing. And you mentioned that running gave you tools that trickled into other areas of your life. What what other areas of life did running trickle into? It just trickled into my career. It trickled into like family and friends and just it helped me create discipline in all aspects of my life because mm-hmm. up until I picked up running, I had been what I like to call like a habitual quitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I would pick things up and then I had this whole mentality of man, if it's not like if it wasn't like perfect, like I would stop and then, you know, just the same old, like, I'll start again on Monday and maybe I'll get it right this time. As opposed to this time when I picked up running, you know, I kind of just stopped and told myself like, man, all those times I quit. What if I just kept going? Like, what if I just, what if I just like see this one through no matter what happens? And I think that Finally, finding that thing that I could stick with for all these years and be consistent at has just trickled into all the aspects of my life. That's amazing. Mind blown in so many areas right now. I feel so inspired. (laughs) I really love, I know that we have limited time. Can we make this a five-hour podcast? I, I want to touch on this just a tiny bit more and we can move on. I have also used running as a tool for mental health. I've been slightly open about that on the podcast and also on, on my social media. And I just want to say that I really love how you said that it didn't cure your depression. It didn't get rid of your depression. I mean, whether you struggle with mental health or not, like everyone is going to go through times of their lives where they have symptoms of depression. Like that's just a part of life. But running gave you a tool to be able to combat it. And I just, I think that's really amazing. I think, I think running is such an amazing tool to combat depression and and other mental health aspects, because like you said, it trickles into other areas of your life. It gives you control. It teaches you that you can do anything that you set your mind to it. And one big thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like running is kind of a form of meditation. It teaches you to manage your thoughts and your emotions and, and you get out, you get out on a long run and and you're able to 
tap into your mind and your body a little bit better. It, it gives you more control over that. Anyways, I just thank you for for sharing that. I I just think that's super super important and I just I want more people to know like hey this is a great tool if you struggle with mental health I mean even if it's not running there's some kind of movement running is a great option try that but I I think it's such a great tool for that so thank you for sharing yeah absolutely so now moving forward I mean you mentioned about being what you call a habitual quitter And I think lots of people can actually relate to this. I mean, I actually just had, as you're talking about that, like if things don't work out just the right way, or, you know, there's a lot of resistance to something, or you receive even any resistance, you're just like, yeah, it's not meant to be, I'm not going to do it then. I mean, my, myself, if you listen to our last episode, I just ran the U100 and three weeks before the U, I had actually decided I wasn't going to run it because my training hadn't gone as I wanted it to go. You know, I had faced pushback and I had faced an injury and I thought I'm not ready to do it. But anyways, long story short, I ended up deciding to do it. And I was surprised with how well things actually ended up going. So my question now lies is long story short. So you signed up for that first hundred mile race, like big time commitment. And like, I remember, you know, us signing up for our first hundred, like scared to death. And as you started that training process, were there times that as you were training where you wanted, you were ready to throw in the towel and be like, eh, maybe I'm not going to do this after all, or maybe I'm going to wait another year to do this. Or how did, how did that go for your first time in training for that hundred miler? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were so many times where, and that where I just felt like I wanted to throw in the towel. And I think that was not just the training for the 100, but it was also just like, I think it's also a normal part of the process where like some days you just don't have it or you don't want to do it, but you have to like kind of force yourself to kind of just like do the thing and do something every day. And I, I think what helped me kind of get through it was realizing that the goal wasn't to like stay away from the discomfort as long as you could, that wasn't success to me. The goal was to try to get as uncomfortable as possible in training. And I held on to that mindset. And anytime those thoughts came, I just decided to like take an action, whether it would be go out and do a run or do a strength workout or do some research or do something towards my goal, even if it was like a small thing. And that helped me just like get through it and I think what also helped me was that even though I knew that April wasn't a long ways away between July and April is not a very long time in terms of training for your first 100, but it was also still long enough that I was able to kind of like put it aside and go, all right, well, you know, now I can sign up for X, Y, and Z ultra to train for that hundred mile race. So the way I had set it up was like, I, signed up for that 100 mile at Zion. And then I looked around and which at the time, you know, in 2020, the options were limited, but I looked around and tried to find like my first ultra to do a 50k. And 
that was when I signed up for the Zion 50K on a whim in like August. And it was like one month, it was like late September, I think they did it that year. And that was the first ultra that I signed up for. And how did that feel doing your first 50K? I guess going 30 plus miles for the first time. Oh my God, I got absolutely destroyed. (laughs) But it was amazing. (laughs) It was everything you would expect the first ultra to be like, I, you know, I made all the mistakes in the book. Like I didn't know how electrolytes worked. You know, I didn't, I had like socks that, they, I didn't know about Belega or Jinji or like any of the brands. So I just had like oh, these, no. just had like my hiking socks, you know, I think I was wearing like darn tough socks or something. And <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, nutrition was just whatever was at the aid station. Like I made every mistake in the book and it was about the last aid station with four miles left. I just started like, as you would expect, I started erupting into like Charlie horses and <sighs> I was just like cramping left and right. It was actually because (laughs) I tripped on a rock and fell over and then everything, my body just said, nope, you're done. (laughs) And so (laughs) those last, like, I think that was like six hours in, it took me maybe like two and a half hours to march in like the last like four miles. So it was every bit as cinematic as you would expect your first (laughs) ultra to be when, (laughs) when, you know, it obviously didn't help that like you couldn't really like communicate with other people in the ultra community because it was like 2020 everybody was still kind of like social distancing and spaced away and so I was a lot of the training runs every run I was doing everything I was doing was like solo so I was just everything I was the the power of Mr. Google you know yeah oh yeah we know about that <laughs> yep that's how we, we I mean, prepared we, for our first one <laughs> our our ultra running lifespan is about the same as yours like we did we did our first 50 miler in 2019 and then our first 100 in 2020 so yeah we're we're right there with you right <laughs> <with ya. laughs> google was our best friend for lots of things oh, and just plain old dang experience and wondering why the heck did that happen and what am i gonna do to make sure it doesn't happen again <laughs> so did that did that discourage you at all with like because it sounds like it was a rough 30 plus miles that like it was a hard 50k like you it, like i'm never doing that yeah, again. yeah were, were you like how am i supposed to now triple that you know like (laughs) it was rough but it was yeah I think it sort of did make me think like man I'm gonna triple this distance now but I think I was also sort of riding the high of like man you know I just did not only did I pass the marathon mark for the first time in a race but I did a 50k so it was like a double whammy because I'd never done my first marathon and I think I kind of went through the same thing that tends to happen to a lot of people where you're like this is my last one I'm never doing this again and then you know you cross the finish line and next thing you know like you're on ultra sign up which I was a week ago and uh, or a week after the race a week ago yeah. I mean I was a week ago <laughs> a but... week ago it took you a while to get over it <laughs> yeah but like a week after the race I was on ultra sign up and signing up for a couple other 50ks that were happening in California because they were on like Indian reservation land and uh, you know, all kinds of like people were starting to put on races that were like all kinds of loopholes and stuff. So I was just <laughs> signing up for whatever I could to get back out there. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
Okay, so that was the 50K. Now take us to the 100. How did the first hundo go? Oh my God. The, <laughs> oh, I'm the, excited. The first, hundred, the first hundred is by far like, you know, I've done like, I did the 235 miles at Moab. I, I've done other 100 miles. I've done a 72 hour race. But, you know, look, I don't, I could go 10 years and do a bunch of other things. But I think that that 100 mile finish will always be like my most memorable one. I was the DFL person in the race. So, Heck yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We love the DFL. <laughs> it was it was amazing, and I have to give all credits to my friend and aid station captain Rob Rich and his daughter for like they were sweeping the course and they saw me coming in. And so the the story goes that like you know I'm tagging along with this group and like we're at like mile supposedly mile 96 and. We look down at the events of maps and it's saying you have four more miles to go and you only have an hour to do it to at the 36 hour cutoff. So I think that was the first time in the entire race where I actually thought, man, like I'm not going to be able to do this. Like I've come so far and it's not going to get done. So I kind of, they kind of went ahead of me and I was just sort of power hiking and feeling sorry for myself and starting to come up with the excuses of why I didn't finish the race. And then sort of caught a second win when I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, a hundred miles is a hundred miles, whether I get the buckle or not, I'm still going to get it done. And then out of nowhere, like a trail angel, I, I hear Rob calling me out saying, Oh, Oh, is that you? I say, who's that? I couldn't see it. You know, I couldn't see the person. Then I saw Rob and his daughter, like sweeping the course. And Rob was the one who told me that, yeah, the events is wrong. You actually have two miles to go, not four miles to go. Um, no way. By this, by this time I had like a, you know like 25 26 minutes left so it was still gonna be like a haul anyways which you both know like when you're at miles 97 98 or whatever like doing a 13 14 minute pace can seem utterly ridiculous mm -hmm. yeah to like preface that like at mile 47 of the race I had hurt my ankle my foot care mm. was absolutely horrible my feet were shredded so, you know, every single run I had done up to that point was like 18, 18 minute miles. Like, it's that feeling of like, you know, the feeling like where you're like pushing and you're running hard, but you look down your watch, I'm like, that's a 16 minute pace. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what? Uh, <laughs> so Rob, Rob, his friend and his daughter were like, all right, we're closing up the aid station, but we can run you in. And I said, absolutely. You guys have to run me and you got me this far. So they like, they're totally responsible for pushing me those last two miles. And Rob was the reason I sprinted like the last half mile because he was looking down and just watching. He's like, you have a couple minutes left. I just like, never mind that. Like, you just got to give it like everything you have. And I think at that moment, I just said like, I don't really care about the injuries. I don't care if this is my last race, but I have to prove that I can go the distance. And this is something that I can do. And I just remember crossing that finish line, not knowing if I'd gotten the buckle or not. But at that moment, it didn't matter seeing my family there and seeing all the other runners there and getting cheered on and just realizing I'd done 100 miles. So I just like, you know, grabbed my knees and then I got up and, you know, I just gave Rob a big old bear hug, which is somebody who was gracious enough to take a photo of it. Um, mm -hmm. 
And yeah, I ended up finishing with two minutes to spare as the wow. DFL person. So yeah, I'll never forget that finish. That's amazing. That is amazing. It sounds like a almost a spiritual experience. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So with with that, like now one unique thing about you is you just so what year did you take us through this timeline was that 20 so this is april of 2021 that you did the zion 100 then yeah correct okay and so then you just ran the moab 240 correct yeah that's correct and so that that that's just just over a year past that hundred miler. Did you do so after you know you had this great experience and pushed yourself and finished the Zion one hundred? Now where did the urge to go even further come from and sign up for that Moab two forty? I think it was just like you know I'd been in love with through hiking and backpacking and. I have to give all credits to my friend Hector Rodriguez, who, you know, was actually the reason why, how I met Joe Corsion, who was also on your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Hector did the Triple Crown of 200s in 2021. And I paced him on a whim at the, paced and crewed him on a whim at the Bigfoot 200, which is an absolute beast to crew as a race. <laughs> but, you know, I got a chance to be out there and do miles with him. And I think what, And I also did the same thing at the 2021 Moab and I just got to see firsthand what all these amazing athletes were doing and just wanted to get out there myself. And in between that time, I did a couple other hundred milers. I went back this year and did the Zion again, just, yeah, finished a couple hours ahead of where I was the first year, but I mean... Yeah, it was, yeah, that was like a cool mark of progress. Yeah. And then did like a 72 hour race and just worked my way towards Moab. And yeah, like just being out there was an amazing experience. Obviously the result was kind of like the opposite scenario. It was like the same as the Zion 100 in the sense that like I was pretty much like going to be the DFL person. But the result was not what I wanted this time where, like, I gave it everything I had and, you know, blew out my hip with 235 miles left. So, so I'm going to stop you right there. I think this is a great learning experience for, for me in particular and hopefully other people. So you, you were running, I want to hear a little bit more. So for us, just so our listeners know, you you ran 235 miles of the Moab 240. It's <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, like, when this is what happened. I know our listeners can't see us, but Jacob was, we were reading it on Instagram and Jacob was like, so we did the Moab 240 and he's reading it. And then all of a sudden he goes, and his like <laughs> mouth drops open and I'm like, what, what? And he's all, he dropped it 235. And I was uh, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So what happened to where like, cause most people say like, oh, you know, you can top it up. Most of the time when you get like that close in a race, like you can, you're able to you just can power it through. So give us the backstory of where things started to go wrong and then how it pr- progressively got worse. 
Well, I think that everything that happened to me at that race, after all this time of reflecting, it was all like a trickling effect that goes back to like my nutrition failing me because of the dry heat in Utah. You know, I'm a, I'm actually a plant-based runner. So a lot of times like finding that right balance between carbs, fat, and protein, especially in those longer distances can be tough. And I tend to keep like four or five different options of what kind of foods I can have and backups in my drop bag. And, you know, there was a point, like I think 70, it was 90 miles into the race where I just couldn't eat solid food anymore. And I was, it took me a while to adapt to being able to have like, just like drier foods, like chips and like broth and soup and mashed potatoes with salsa, which was a winning combination. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what most people, I think this is something like even after doing so many ultras that you don't really realize until you're actually in it. And that thing is like, you need more calories than you actually think you do. Um, And yeah. And so like, I think by the time I'd figured that out, I mean, it was already almost like a too little, too late kind of thing. And I think, you know, over time, your pace kind of slows down. You also get into like the sleep deprivation. The worst episode for me was probably doing this a significant climb up to Shea Mountain, which is like one out of three big climbs in the race. And this was like at night. I was like puking and rallying all the way up Shea Mountain. And that oh. was like the halfway point. And, you know, I felt good at moments after mile 120 and I had good stretches, but, you know, by that point, you know, your nutrition is failing, you're starting to slow down and, you know, underfueling is where like a lot of like significant problems start to happen. And so I started edging against the cutoffs and that was when to get to mile 200, I had to go, I had to actually sprint like and sprint, and I mean, like sprint on a trail uphill, like three miles, just to make the cutoff by 20 minutes at the mile 200 marker. And I got past it. And, you know, 38 miles to go. Now you have like the final cutoff is like 11 p.m. It's like 16 hours. So I was kind of pushing myself, but I didn't, you know, my watch is dead by this point. I have no crew, no pacers. So I had no way to know like how fast I was really going. But, you know, I was jogging, walking, jogging, walking. And then, yeah, I was, the last section was a section called Porcupine Rim, which is like mile 220. And I got there, like amazing aid station crew there. I got there and they got me out and like 4 p.m. and they're like, I want to give you the whole seven hours to do these last 18 miles because it's like all like, it was like a crazy slick rock section and everything looked Mm -hmm. the same. So you can imagine when you're like delirious, like I kept looking down at my map and I was like, why does it feel like I've done this section like 15 times? And, you know, I had to like run this thing all the way because like, you know, with seven hours, even your run pace isn't that fast and you're on like slick rock and uneven terrain. And that was when like, I just felt like a really, really sharp pain on my like left hip. And Mm. it just like broke me into like a really, it was like one of those stingers. So like really broke me into like walking like a 40 minute pace for a while. And I was like, what the heck is going on to the point where like, to the point where like, 
I called him and I was like, man, is there any way like, I like, there's no way I can keep going. Like, and you know, I'm somebody who generally like, I think most ultra runners too. Like when do you get to that point? Like nothing matters and you want to finish. But I guess what I'm trying to say was it was that bad where I was like, man, this just does not feel right. And yeah, I just like went through all the emotions at that moment. And you know, I was on top of like the slick rock formation. And so one of the volunteers there was like, well, there's, you're already five miles out of the aid station. So there's no way we can really rescue you. So you have to just like hike your way down. And he's like, don't worry, you know, the sweepers, if they find you, they'll take care of you. And at that point, I don't know, I just kind of flipped the switch. And I was like, well, you know what, like, if I have to get down this thing anyways, I might as well just and this might just be like sleep deprivation logic, but I was like, I might as well just go as hard, hard as possible. Cause like, it was like the same switch in design 100 where I was like, man, I've already come this far, you know, injury or no injury. I can't like not give it my best shot. And that was when I just started like flying down the formation for like three or four miles. I was just like flying down the slick rock and, you know, grouped up with grouped up with a couple people and, yeah. And then I think at some point, like, I just stopped feeling the pain for a while. I don't know. I still can't explain what happened. But then it was like 10, 11 o'clock with an hour left at this point, And my body just like shut down on me. It was like dark at this point, And I've never seen more morbid and crazy hallucinations than I did at that point. Like, I was absolutely delirious. I was like seeing what? like Chris like Christmas trees and like just like campers just hanging out and chatting like it was bad enough that I was hearing audibles of people like talking and as I got closer Whoa. like everything just like vanished like very slowly I kept like walking towards like certain points and I would get there and I thought people were standing there watching me like looking around like these were moving visual hallucinations not just like an object just like there and yeah. I was just like off my rocker and whoa you know, was I, that I could not... scary at the time no I was just like I didn't even know how I felt like I was just so out of it and I think at that point I was just like you know my body had just shut down on me again and I was just like man I just you know if I try to do these last five miles the way I am right now like it's gonna take me like four hours to get there <laughs> and wow. so we you know we got to the three or there were like a party of seven of us at that point who didn't make the cutoff and we got, all got to the roadside. And so it was like, once you get down that porcupine Ridge, you have like five miles to the finish. That's like down the road. So instead of going down that tunnel to the roadside, we actually got rescued at the roadside and taken to the start line. And at that moment, I didn't really know how I felt. I think I was more focused on like the safety of me and the others around me. And it's not, I, you know, according to my parents and the people around me, I was uh, not very coherent. Like I, I, I felt like I was sounding coherent and saying smart things, but they were like, nah, you were just mumbling the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's hilarious. No one got videos of that, right? <laughs> No, no. Bummer. I guess I guess that's the importance of having a pacer, though, is having them take those videos and those photos. But so, did you do this without a pacer then? I did. Yeah, I went. Oh. No pacers, no crew on this one. 
so it was just me and the drop bags and but you know it was great because like people in the community like pair up and take care of each other i would tag along with runners and their pacers and made a lot of new friends especially those people that i didn't finish the race with because one of them behind me was pretty delirious and starting to get chilly and you know the brotherhood was brotherhood and familyhood was great because like i gave him my safety my emergency blanket and you know like he was moving all over the place i helped him up you know we all just all of us collectively decided at that moment that our safety was more important than a buckle which was great it just speaks to how amazing the ultra community is that's really cool and thank you for sharing that because you know as much as I love and respect David Goggins, you know, having kidney failure and breaking all the bones in your feet, not the smartest thing to do. You know, I, no. I think most, most ultra runners, AKA, you know, the type A, like I'm going to push through anything personalities, like they need to be reminded that it's okay to stop sometimes. It, and you're right. Your safety is a lot more important than a buckle or a medal. So I'm, I appreciate that story and way to take care of yourself. So yeah, looking back like, at it now, how how are you feeling? It's been about a month now, right? Yeah, it's coming up to close to a month. I've been taking it really slow with the hip. I was lucky to go through x-rays and do all the work and realize that no major structural damage was done, which, you know, I'm grateful for. I haven't, this is, it's been a trip for sure because the longest, you know, in four and a half years, the longest I've taken a break from running was like five days. So, you know, having close to a month off of running has, at first it was really, really tough, but now it's more like it's, you know, and I just made a reflective post about this a couple of days ago, but now it's more like I'm starting to realize that even though running is part of my identity, it's not my complete identity. It's just one aspect of my personality. And it's also helped me realize that like, sometimes you have to see the bigger picture like rich roll says to play the long game and i realized like hey you know the moab 240 is gonna be there next year it's gonna be there the year after you know you have to really if you want to have a long career in the sport and i do want to have a long career in the sport which is something that i ultimately had a monologue about as well which is like do you want to do like these big goals and just like fizzle out or do you want to like you know, have a long and consistent career. And I thought like, you know, I want to be Mr. Consistent. I want to be somebody who can do a couple races a year, perform really well at them and have fun as opposed to like, you know, getting out there and burning myself out. And I want to do different things as well. And so it helped me the longer I think I got, the more I got away from the actual race the more it's trended towards like gratitude and like happiness and just like telling myself like, man, like you just did 235 miles. And, and it helped me realize how crazy my inner critic was for all these years. It helped me realize that there was like, I stopped myself the moment I finished like that race. And a couple of days after I was like, you know what you did 235 miles but you didn't get the buckle and i was like that's where i was like whoa 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 pump the brakes man like you are not telling like i am not going to tell myself that 
I finished ninety eight percent of the race, and it doesn't matter because I didn't get a piece of metal. I did two hundred and thirty five miles, which is a mileage PR. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. I did two hundred miles, and so I think what I'm trying to say is that it's helped me be like learn to actively start being more kinder to myself, which is I think something we all should do. It just it started with simple things like just waking up every day after the race and just patting myself on the back and going, you know, I got you, you know, like nobody is a bigger critic of myself than I am, but I think being more, I've become more aware and cognizant of it. And I'm trying to be a better voice for myself. That's amazing. Running teaches you so much. It teaches you so much. And, and I, I love I love you mentioning the self-soothing technique of, you know, patting yourself on the back and, and reminding yourself that I have you, like we're in charge of ourselves, right? We can take care of ourselves. And I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that negative self-talk, I fall victim to it quite a bit too, that being your own worst critic, like, you, you wake up and you maybe you wake up 20 minutes past where you wanted to wake up at and you just start it's like you know what i got up okay <laughs> it didn't quite start off you know because if you just keep negative self-talking yourself it's just gonna it's just spiral. gonna compound it's just gonna spiral compound yeah. on itself you know and yeah obviously we all have to improve and get better but you got to do it in a healthy way so but, yeah, and you're not gonna get better if you let yourself negative talk and you let yourself spiral. You're never gonna be able to talk yourself into trying again or doing the next big race. It's if you want to get better, you gotta you gotta think positively. Agree. So what's the what's the plans moving forward now? Are you gonna go back at that Moab 240? Or are you just kind of waiting it out, feeling how things go, or tell us what you're thinking now? So I'm actually committed to doing the Triple Crown of 200s in 2024. That was the other thing with the Moab 240, where it was like, I actually did a lottery for this year. And there was also a shot that I wasn't going to get into Moab this year. So I started reframing it that way, where I was like, hey, I got to do a 235-mile training run for the Triple Crown. I was going to do it in 2023, but they have a deferral policy. So I made the decision last week to defer from it and to focus in take all the things that I've learned from doing my first 200 miler and go back and do a couple tough 100 miles that I've been on my list and just like focus on building speed endurance and more importantly just doing just like tackling like all the things that went wrong with my nutrition which for me is starting if it was one thing is starting with like more liquid nutrition and trying to figure out things that are easier to eat in the dry heat. So just to give us, cause I don't know, my nutrition is whack too. We're still and trying to figure that, that out too. <laughs> I mean, almost every runner, right? So what are yeah. you like, what are you thinking of trying and doing differently? Like what kind of liquid foods are you like finding that you might start to work more into so one thing that i'm testing and this is something that stephanie case did ultra runner girl on instagram she did this at tortoise johns i think that's how you pronounce it it's she's a plant-based runner and she was actually taking olive oil 
in her no. drink formula as part of her race because it's very caloric dense and it's got fat in it. And typically when we're in that hiking slower pace, like that's more of what we're burning. Interesting. Um, so I'm going to give olive oil packets a test. I'm going to try more nut butters. I'm going to definitely try more colder liquid nutrition, like just try to get a drink in there and just try to put like more ice in it. And yeah, just those are some of the things I'm going to try. And then, yeah, still on the drawing board because like nutrition is like, it's such a crazy puzzle. Like, I don't think there was ever a race I finished where I was like, I think I finally figured out nutrition because I think every single race I've had, I've always had GI issues at some point. It's just, it's really tough thing to figure out, especially when you're later in the race and you're just like, you know what? Like, I don't want to eat my gels anymore. Like, I'm just going to eat what sounds good at this point. Because if I'm eating anything at this point, then that's probably a good thing. Fortunately, I learned that for a 200 miler, you can't always get away with that. So I'm just, it's something that I think it can only help more than hurt to have like more options for nutrition, for sure. That makes sense. So you're saying for a 200 mile race, like you have to have your nutrition planned out to a T, like every, every step of the race. Maybe not to a T, but I think 200 miles, I think that everybody has a different strategy for it. And I don't think there's like a set plan for it. It's just like every single person that like ask, like, I've seen so many different strategies. Like there are people who are really fast in that race who do like 60 miles in like 14, 15 hours and then sleep at an aid station for six hours every single day. They'll treat it as like a stage race. And then there's people who are like back of the Packers who don't need that much sleep, but can just like edge the cutoffs. And, you know, as far as like food goes, like I've I've seen like so many different strategies. So I don't know what the answer to that would be, but I do know that this is probably the solution to my key to doing a 200 mile. Okay. Do what works for you. That's always what it's about with nutrition, right? Have you looked into getting like a sports nutrition coach or anything like that? So, you know, actually, yeah, I have. My coach is my coach who I met at my second 50K is actually got like that nutritional background. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, while that was something that we didn't really do much detailed work on before, we're going to go more into depth for it now. That's even better. If you can get a coach who has a nutritional background, that's great. Yeah. Well, we're going to start to wrap this up, but man, I think it's inspiring that you went from a 50 K to one year, to a hundred miler the next year, to a 200 and... And now going for the triple crown. Yes. I mean, some people would, I've, I mean, I've talked to a lot of runners who like, they, they would call you stupid, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we, I mean, we were, we were like, we've had people tell us uh, like when we did a 50 mile or to a hundred, they're like, you maybe should like so much build up a little more yeah. than that, you know, like, <laughs> but I think it's awesome that you just, you just chose it and you're like, Hey, I'm going to do it. And you know what, what happens happens but I'm going for it. 
And I, I think that's amazing. And that's what honestly inspires me. Just, you know, choosing a goal and going for it and being okay with failure, you know, cause it might happen. And we all know now, if you've been in the ultra running world for long, like everyone's going to DNF at some point, like you just never know, no matter how good you might prepare or train, you just, with a distance that long, you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That, that's what we always say is to, you know, make a really, really big goal. And even if you don't hit that goal, you're still going to be, you're still going to go further you're than you would have. You're still you going to get 235 goal. miles. So yeah, <laughs> that's I, amazing. I, I, I call it, I, I call it failing big instead of winning small. Yes, yes, I like it. Yes, quote of the episode. <laughs> Go right at the top of the show notes. <laughs> I like it. But I do have to ask you one last question. You said you got into running to find your purpose. And I just want to ask, did you find your purpose? Yeah, I think my purpose now if is probably like multiple things. It's testing my personal limits. It's yeah, uh, just lifting up other people around me and being a better leader through the strength I gained from doing ultras and finding out more about myself and just giving back to the community. Every every big race I've done is for charity. And that was actually something I learned from Rich Roll, you know, just, and I think Jay Shetty talked about it, but doing things for selfless service kind of gives you that extrinsic motivation to push harder when that inner inward stuff sometimes fails you. So it definitely helps me to have that selfless purpose as well. That's amazing. What, what charities have you ran for? So my first 100 was for my first 100 was for a food bank that, and we raised money for 1500 meals. The one that I've been working for the last year dating back to my 72 hour race is Ridstone Family Center, which deals with uh, child abuse, domestic violence, and combating generational trauma by adopting, instead of just adopting the kids, they adopt the entire family. They're like a LA based charity and they help out families in lower income brackets, basically around the same area where I grew up. So really close to that charity, to its volunteers, and also to those kids. Those kids are my kids, you know. They were tracking me throughout the race. But yeah, I'm running a campaign called the For the Kids 2022 campaign, where the goal was to raise $25,000 and through all my races. And I'm happy to say that we've raised $8,000 for Ridstone Family this year. That's awesome. That's amazing. Way to go. So if if someone wants to help support these these causes that you're running for, how can they how can they help support it? You know, if donations could be done on Instagram at the Om Gandhi. I also have a GoFundMe link as well for the kids 2022 Ridstone family, and it'll come up. And you know, even if you can't donate, sharing the cause always helps. Tagging Ridstone in it and just uh, spreading the word about it because somebody put it really nicely once saying that like if every city in America had a charity like Ridstone Family, it would be a much better place, you know? Wow. Well, we will definitely have to share that in the show notes. Yes. So before we let you go, we got one last question for you. 
And we ask this to all our guests. So if you had someone you know, a friend comes up to you and says, what you've been doing, I found it inspiring. I've loved what I've seen it do for you. I want to get into ultra running myself and I want to run 100 miles. What they say, what advice do you have for me starting off as I start my 100 mile journey? Just enjoy the journey and smile like be grateful because you know like you don't have to do this this is something that you get to do and just the work starts today you know it starts with every little thing that you do and it starts with building the habits from today not for monday not from next month it starts today and you know it's just about being consistent and showing up every day no matter if it's good or bad and just falling in love with the process and no matter when you get there, you'll get there because one step forward is one step closer to your goal. I like wow. it. Thank you so much. I like it starts today, not tomorrow, not next week. Because how it many times do we think, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to start on this on Monday, you know, and I like it. It yeah. starts today. And to add to that, what I, one of the questions I love to ask myself, because we always ask ourselves what we can do, what's the most we can do, right? A good place, a good thing to start asking yourself is what's the absolute minimum you'll do if you're having a bad day? What's the minimum you do? Is it like five minutes of working out? Is it like a mm -hmm. minute of meditation? If you figure out what your floor is and that minimum you'll do every day, then you're making prog, then you'll start making progress every single day, even if you're having a bad day. I like that. I love that. Is that is actually really I good. love that. One of the best pieces of advice I think we've ever heard on this podcast. Find your floor day. If everything, your floor goal. Yeah. If everything, if it's a bad day, things haven't gone as planned. Yeah. What What's is the, the bare mi minimum? What is do? the bare minimum? And just make sure you do that. That's great advice. I love it. Well, thank you, Om. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast, joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So a big thank you goes out to Ohm for taking time out of his day and sharing his journey with us. I loved when he was talking about failing big rather than winning small and just going for it. And I thought that was a really good piece of advice trying to decide are we going to sign up for that big race? Do we have it in us? You know, well, you know what? It's better to die trying than to never live at all, right? Um, and I also love what he was talking about is establishing your floor days. So if you just have a bad day, establish beforehand what's your bare minimum of training you're going to do. And that's going to ensure that you still get something in for the day. Great advice. Great overall dude. Please make sure you check out our show notes so you can go follow Ohm and see his journey as well as follow all those charities that he was talking about. We appreciate Ohm and all he did in sharing his insights. Make sure you go check out our Instagram page, Trail to 100. Melody actually just ran a 50, spoiler alert, she just ran a 50 mile race. We got two episodes coming up the next two weeks about her thoughts before the race and her thoughts after the race. And this was her longest distance since the 100 she did two years ago. So uh, a lot of great insight from Melody coming up. Uh, you can 
see more about what's going on in the ultra running world by following us at Trail to 100. And we will talk to you all next time. Hey guys, it's Melody here. Thank you so much for listening to Trail. It means so much to us. I'm really excited to tell you about my coaching business where I help average Joes who are looking for a little bit more out of life do something big to find a little bit more purpose, direction, and meaning. I know what it's like to feel stagnant or like something's missing or like you just want more out of life. I was in the same spot. Jacob and I had just gotten married and we were both working nine to five jobs and we just were like, what do we do now? We, we just wanted something more and we listened to David Goggins book and we decided to sign up for a 50 mile race. And since then we've done fifties, we've done, Jacob's done a couple hundreds, I've done one 100 and, and running has changed our lives. I feel like I always have a goal to work towards. I feel accomplished and proud of myself. I feel like I have learned countless life lessons that have made me a better friend, a better wife, a better daughter, a better person. And I want to give back and help you do the same thing. I'm telling you, running can change your life. If you're ready to jump in and sign up for a race, whether it's three miles or 100 miles, I would be honored to help you cross the finish line. If you want to learn more or get in touch with me, go to my Instagram at Pine Tree Running or my website, MelodyBateman.biz. You have so much potential and you are way stronger than you know. Let's find your strength because it's there just waiting to be tapped into.